Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1180. Dream as if you'll live forever, live as if you'll die today. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Paul Reese, calling in from the United Kingdom. Paul, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am indeed. This sofa that I'm on is way more comfortable than the, than, than my race car that I'm usually <laughs> in without, without, the, without the crotch straps. So yeah, yeah. I'm very much uh, yeah, All right. buckled up indeed. There we go. There we go. Paul Reese is a British racing driver who is currently driving a McLaren in the European GT Championships. Paul is a multiple karting champion, Formula Palmer Audi rookie champion, and race winner. He was the FIA Formula 2 Rookie Cup winner and podium finisher and was third overall in the Porsche Carrera Cup GB Championship race winner. And last year, Paul was invited to join the prestigious British Racing Drivers Club as a full member. When he's not racing, Paul is a driving coach, a development driver for numerous clients, including McLaren, Automotive, Porsche, and Mercedes-AMG. He's also a film stunt driver and has appeared worldwide on television and in print media. So, Paul, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment before I jump into the questions and share a little bit more about your racing career, your driving career, and a very obvious passion for going very fast in cars? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it originated kind of at a friend's birthday party when I was very small, 13 years old, and just did very well in carts and uh, in go-karts. And then and then it just took off from there. And my passion for motorsport, actually, everyone assumes, stems from my father because he was actually a Formula 2 and briefly a Formula 1 driver before starting a team called March, which were a very, very successful team back in the day, which then morphed into Arrow's Formula 1 team. Um, so everyone kind of assumes it came through those channels. But actually, my dad did everything to, to keep me away from motorsport. He gave me a tennis racket, a golf club, you know, got me swimming, got me into rugby, anything but motorsport. Um, but uh, obviously, this is uh, this is the route uh, I chose, and I put a lot of work into it. And um, thankfully, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with, uh, with, with the path I've chosen and how things are going currently. Well, absolutely. And that's very cool, the history of your father with March and then evolving into Arrows. I mean, serious, serious racing iconic history there with March and know the brand and name very, very well, especially since I've been involved with uh, historic racing and vintage racing. So that is very cool. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that has meaning for you. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, Paul, take the wheel. Well, actually, it's a James Dean saying, and James Dean was obviously an actor, but very into his cars. And I just, I love the quote. So it's dream as if you'll live forever, live as if you'll die today. That's a quote by James Dean. Um, and I just, I just like that because it's, um, it just shows that you can really think big, be very, very outgoing, but just live every moment, you know, as it's, uh, as it's your last. So I'm always, uh, I'm always one to do to do crazy things and uh, spur at the moment, but I, I like to get things done in the now and not uh, not put things off really. So um, yeah, but I dream big as well. Oh, that's very cool. 
You know, it's incredible about James Dean. I mean, a lot of people who are into cars think of him as racing old Porsches. 356 is, of course, the iconic spider that he lost his life in. But the fact that he really wasn't around that long, but the impression he made was absolutely indelible. I mean, everybody knows about James Dean and even uh, people that weren't around when his movie, the, the few movies he did, I think he only really did one or two, I think, before he lost his life. But uh, yeah, he seemed to live life uh, a lot like, well, let's say Paul Newman, who raced cars, and uh, Steve McQueen, who raced cars. I mean, these actors that really were sportsmen at heart, but uh, they just used acting as a way to make the money so they could go racing, it seemed like to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and now you've got racing drivers who are, who are making money in the racing world who don't want to go acting. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I know a few of them. Um, and it's funny because um, I'm obviously sometimes referred to as a stunt driver. In, in my mind, it's not really stunt driving because uh, I see stunt driving as, as people crashing and rolling over and catching fire and all that kind of thing. And uh, But it's, yeah, I guess it's kind of a stunt slash precision uh, driving. And and I think once film stars fall into doing stunts and driving stunts on their own, then they morph into the sort of, they get the bug. And and that's what happens. I know Ryan Reynolds is doing a lot of his uh, driving stunts at the moment uh, with a colleague of mine. And um, he's really starting to catch the, uh, catching the racing bug. So, um, yeah, you see a lot of film stars morph into, morph into race drivers. I'm surprised Tom Cruise has never, has never done more racing actually. Well, yeah, because I understand he does a lot of his stunts. And of course, of course, Patrick Dempsey, uh, I'm a big Porsche fan, so I think he is as well. And he's done a lot of driving Mm, and racing and really, really loves that uh, as well, continues to, to this day. So very, very cool. Well, Let's go back in time a little bit, because it's interesting that your dad wanted to keep you away from racing, being so big in the racing industry. Is there a story that instigated your personal passion for car, that moment when you said, you know what, dad, no matter what, I'm a car guy? Yeah, I I think it was when I first started racing, and I just found that, that I was better than everybody else. And it was, I found it easy, and I just got the feeling which I'd never got before. It takes you to another place. You sort of detach yourself mentally, but you never feel more alive, and and it's sort of you get into this zone, and that's when I realised that actually this is this is what I'm good at, this is what I need to do. But it you know it was a very hard journey when we were small because I came from a a family which is comfortable, you know it's uh, we 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 haven't wanted for much, but again we never had the millions of pounds or even hundreds or tens of thousands it took to become a racing driver, so. Um, and I saw a quote from Ayrton Senna once that said, motorsport is 60% business and 40% actually racing. And, and that is, that's something which has stuck with me ever since I was very, very small. You've got to be a, a businessman as well to be a racing driver. So, um, so, but yeah, that's kind of when I realized that, that that's what I wanted to do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think you, you've taken a really great path too, because not only do you race, but you're active in other areas of motorsports like the driving and the coaching. So you diversified yourself, which I think is extremely wise because I've had hundreds of drivers, race car drivers on the show here at Cars. Yeah. And the biggest challenge by far seems to be money, money, money. It's just so expensive to go racing. And unless you've got a, a very wealthy family to throw big bucks at you, uh, you've got to do other things and be other things, and that seems to me what you've uh, you figured out how to do. Well, yeah, I mean, it kind of it kind of stems back to when I when I 
came out of Formula Two um, a few years back um, because uh, the whole economic crisis had just happened. My sponsor had to pull out, and you know I, my racing career was going down the drain. So I actually went to um, Mercedes Benz World at a very famous place called Brooklands in London, and I got a job there as as one of their sort of instructors, and, and they have a great display stunt display team called Silver Arrows Silver Arrows Stunt Display, which is all in Mercedes AMGs doing sliding and synchronized drifting and all that kind of thing, and and I and I learned a huge amount there. And I really matured as not only a person, as a race coach, but also my my driving ability and car control really sort of went through the roof because they have they have skid pans and and ice simulation uh, and all that kind of thing. And now, so always, if anyone asks me, um, you know, how I'm able to to drift or slide cars the way I do, and um, and or even drive or race in the wet, I actually owe a lot of it to uh, to Mercedes Benz World in in Brooklyn. I worked there for you know, a number of years, but crucially the the three years I had out of motorsport before getting an opportunity to come back in. Yeah, I owe a lot to it. And it set me on a path of obviously the, the, the coaching stuff, the stunt driving and almost improving me as an overall driver. So yeah, it kind of lucky, but yeah, at the time I didn't really think about diversifying as you put it, but it just kind of shaped out that way. And now I'm very grateful for it. Absolutely. Sounds like an awesome experience. Well, let's take a look at some of the roads you've raced down, driven down, gone down, and talk about a big challenge or a big failure that you faced. These are things that race car drivers face almost on a weekly basis, it seems like, but they're great learning lessons, and they're great lessons for those listeners out there that might be facing something similar. So walk us through a specific event, if you would. Tell us how that challenged you in a great way, but tell us, more importantly, what you learned from it so you could move forward and grow from that experience. I think... When I, I got a phone call from uh, Malcolm Wilson, who is very, very well known. He's the owner of M Sports, which is a, obviously they now run the, the, the very successful rallying team. But they, when Bentley said they were coming back into motorsport uh, in 2014, uh, Malcolm Wilson, I was at the gym and Malcolm Wilson called me out of the blue and, and he invited me to go and test. Uh, he said to me I was a wild card as he wanted to recreate sort of the Bentley boys. So we went to Portimao and I had a fantastic, uh, fantastic test. I hadn't been in a race car for about three years. I'd just been at Mercedes-Benz World as we were talking and had a fantastic test there. And I think there were about 19, 18, 19 drivers altogether. And I kind of made the final two, although I didn't get the factory drive, which was a real shame not to do it. I was very inspired by that test and Malcolm Wilson then called me about three days later and said, Paul, we wanted to give you the drive along with a, a great friend of mine, Duncan Tappy. We wanted to give it to you, but you're just not quite experienced enough in GT cars. We're really sorry. We didn't expect you to be as quick as you were. So that's when I was really inspired. I kind of thought, you know what? I, I almost got a Bentley factory drive, which everyone wants a factory drive. That's kind of your main aim when you set out to be a racing driver. You know, you want, you want to be paid by a manufacturer to race for a manufacturer who you believe in and then go and, go and win a bunch of stuff. That's when I really sort of, it gave me that extra, extra push to get out there and make it happen. And, um, and Malcolm then helped me get a, get a seat with, within Porsche Crow Cup. GB and uh, won races that year and obviously ultimately finished third in the championship. And then that, that, that was kind of my springboard into, into, into now, you know, high level GT racing. So yeah, I owe a lot to that, that moment really. That was, that was kind of my spring. How did Malcolm know about you to call you? 
he actually knew about me through a couple of engineers who I'd worked with in the past. And I, I worked with one of the engineers in Formula 2 who I got on very well with and kept in touch with him in a couple of years uh, years that I had out. And I think he, he was great to then say, you know, you should really give Paul Reese a shot. You know, because I'm not one of these kids. I'm not like Lewis Hamilton. When you look at their CV, they've won everything you know i've actually always we've we've kind of struggled through with very low budgets we're always mediocre or subpar teams who are always on budgets as well we've we've tended to do pretty good jobs with what we've had at the time and and then with this engineer who put my name forward and then a, another friend of mine called peter digby who owns a big gearbox company called x-track you know i think two people said my name and and that gave Malcolm the uh, the inkling to to give me a call. Really caught me off guard when he called me in the gym, um, but was a <laughs> was a was a fantastic uh, fantastic experience. Um, yeah, to do sounds like way. it. Uh, well, the golden nugget I heard there was stay in touch with people, keep in touch with people you've worked with before in some little way, some big way, whatever it is, because you never know what might cross their path that could lead to something crossing your path. So that's my takeaway there. Let's shift gears and talk about a big career aha moment, a time when you said, ah, yeah, this is the new path I need to go down. Was there one of those that really stands out for you? Yeah, I think, I think again, it was, it was that Bentley moment. It was, it was when I was, when I was having that test in Portimao, I had this opportunity by Bentley and then I suddenly realized because coming out of Formula Two uh, a couple of years before the GT, I, I was completely driven to be a Formula One driver. All I wanted to be was a Formula One driver. And now actually, in fact, I look back and I think, what was I thinking? Why did I not go into GTs earlier and mm. go down that route? Because in Formula One, you've got very, very few people and everyone wants to be a Formula One driver. You know, all the kids karting. You've only got 20 seats now. I think it might grow to 22 right. in the future. You've only got 20 seats. But in GTs and sports car racing, you can A, have a longer career, and B, it's definitely more realistic. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was my, that was kind of my aha moment in terms of why did I not do this sooner? Formula Two was an extremely good championship for me, but you know the budgets and the struggles to be there in the first place was uh, was was very tough. And now looking at Formula Two, I mean, the budget for for a top drive now with these young kids is about two point five million pounds wow. per season. And it's just mind blowing now how how money orientated it, it all is. But yeah, that was definitely definitely when I had that aha moment. Well, it makes sense to me. Having interviewed so many race car drivers, a couple names come to mind that have had great uh, success there. Boris said, who's been racing, gosh, he's up in his fifties now and still gets called to do races. And uh, Patrick Long, yep. of course, races for Porsche. Yeah, I mean, definitely. again, a GT racer, a factory racer long series of histories and those guys you know the factory cars as you know they've got money the 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 manufacturers have money to spend on this stuff so a little more reliability and you can focus more on your driving that's very very cool well let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car the first car that arrived in your life or maybe it's the first race car you got in that you went wow i've really arrived i'm here and maybe share a memory you have about that vehicle yeah i think um it wouldn't be a car I've owned. You know, I've never owned some. I, I, I've actually, which we'll get onto later. I've I've got my one of my dream cars at the moment, um, which is which is a classic. Um, but as far as owning owning cool cars, I've never really owned any amazing cars. I've always kind of had. I see cars as everyday 
every day-to-day cars because I yeah. spent so much time in so many amazing cars and machinery. I, I guess I don't have that urge like a lot of people do to to have to drive a you know an amazing car on the road all the time and actually at the moment have a have a four by four you know mercedes four by four which is um, a fantastic car and it's and it's practical and it's comfortable um i had a golf r32 (laughs) nice when i was uh, when i was 18 it was a mark 5 r32 I remember I, I I got a job at a place called Halfords, uh, which is like an auto center uh, over here in the UK, and I worked my socks off purely so then I could afford to pay for a Golf R32, and then struggled to put fuel in it for my entire life. And it was it was, uh, <laughs> but, it, I, but I absolutely loved that thing. You know, when you're when you're that age, your car is uh, is, is everything. Um, so that yeah. that was a great car to have. But now, obviously, I've got uh, an, an, my baby, which is a, a 1968 280 SL Pagoda, Ooh. which is just honestly one of the nicest cars I've ever driven. You have a nice day, you put the roof down, yeah. and you cruise through the countryside. And it's un- unbelievable. 1968 car. It's got you know power steering, ABS, an engine which just revs and revs, and it's just freaking awesome um so <laughs> nice you know, and uh because you know we we especially at mclaren we have some unbelievable road cars you know oh no you kidding kind of, you drive <laughs> you, you know you drive a 720 which i think is one of the best road cars in the world if not the best sort of pound for pound uh performance car mm-hmm. and you kind of think it doesn't get any better so it's not necessarily speed and handling robust handling i look for on the road funny enough i look for, for a vehicle which makes you feel good is nice and smooth and is it's just elegant and classy really so yeah yeah, yeah. But, uh, well that i love that car those old Mercedes Pagodas are beautiful. I have a good friend here in the Pacific Northwest who uh, bought one a couple of years ago, and it's just beautiful. It's an all-original car. It's just wonderful. His name's Bill. He's got oh, some nice. very cool cars in his garage, and they are a delight to drive. I mean, they're just you just kind of slow yourself down and go back in time. But that R32, I had a good friend that I lost this past year, Bruce Levin, who was an incredible guy, car collector, but he was a he ran racing teams. He actually uh, raced 962s, 935s back in the day. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, awesome cars. And he bought one of those R32s. This is a guy that could have any car he wants. And he's got garage full garages full of cars. Had, as I should say. But uh, he got that car and he goes, man, this was one of the coolest cars I've ever had. He just loved it. Yeah. And uh, if you looked at his cars, I mean, he has some serious cars in his garage. So... Uh, yeah, I've heard great things about those. I've only been able to drive one once, but I was very, very impressed, and I love German cars, so that was a piece of it, too. Well, is there a car you've let go that you have a little seller's remorse over? Oh, probably probably that, actually. The, the, that the R32, R32. Yeah. I, w- I wish I just kept it, because it's really perfect. How? It really did howl. Four-wheel drive. It's not actually the best handling car in the world, but it's just... It, it, I always think, and I even now, a Golf, a, a GTI or Performance Golf, you can turn up at anywhere, and it's still a nice. It's just a cool car. It's it's just it's one of those cars which, if you have a dream garage, and you sort of say to somebody, you know, you've got you've got five cars, six cars, which you can have, you'll usually have somebody say an RS3 or a, an A45 or a Golf 
GTI or uh, you know UGB on there. So didn't like selling that. But I also had very briefly a uh, 1986 Porsche 911 Targa, which uh, which I let go two years ago. That was partly actually to buy the Pagoda. Um, and I don't regret buying the Pagoda at all. I think it's one of the best things I did, you know, especially <laughs> the investment po- possibility yes. of a Pagoda is unbelievable. You know, the class, I've been very lucky. I wish I could have kept that and the Pagoda. That would have been, they would have looked great to, together. Uh, oh, yeah. But now, obviously, the, the Porsches are rocketing as well. So, uh, yeah, I feel like maybe that might, I might need to jump in uh, feet first and get one of those before they're unobtainable. Yeah, they're going that way. I have an 87 Turbo, Porsche Turbo, that oh, I bought about, very nine, nice. about nine years ago. Yeah, really cool car. I, my followers know it very well. I call it my orange crush because it was I got it from the original <laughs> owner, and it, it was this paint-to-sample in a metallic orange color that was not a factory color. It was a special color this guy had mixed up and painted at the factory. And it's just – I'll send you a picture of it. It's just kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, but I love those 80s cars. And, of course, in the 80s when I was just getting married, I couldn't afford a new turbo. Really wanted one. So finally the timing was right. And, of course, yeah, they've gone through the roof too. I bought it at the right time for sure. So. Yeah. Fun cars, fun cars. Well, let's talk a little bit about what has you excited and fired up with this new year. You're driving a McLaren in the European GT Championships. Awesome company to be working for and driving for. So what are you looking forward to as the coming year as far as racing goes? Well, I'm just, I'm looking, I'll be honest with you, I'm looking forward to winning the championship next year because I there genuinely think that, I genuinely, genuinely think that, that we have a very, very realistic shot. You know, we've dominated a lot of this year, but, um, We've had a lot of bad luck. We've some things just haven't gone our way. We also had a new car, so we had a couple of teething problems. A new team who were working with the car, who were who were still getting their head around the car. So I really think that everything this year has uh, has taught us and the factory and the team a lot. So yeah, I'm looking forward to just sinking my teeth in next year and and just getting the job done. And um, you know since. In 2014, obviously, when I was third in Crow Cup GB, I was very much enjoying podiums and race wins and uh, picking up that trophy at the end of the year. And um, coming third in the championship is is great. Um, but actually, even to this day, I'm you know regret not 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 quite getting the getting the win. So uh, yeah, I, I want to win a major championship. So that's my main focus for next year. There you go. Well, best of luck to you and the team for doing just that. Fantastic. Here's a very introspective question for you, Paul. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you were a car, what would you be and why? <laughs> if I woke up, I was thinking about this earlier, and I could either go down the comedy route or, you know, and actually I, I sort of thought, you know what, it, and it sounds really cheesy, um, but I feel a little bit, a little bit like, like a McLaren in the uh-huh. way that I'm still evolving. I haven't been around all that long. I've got goals I want to achieve, and I'm pretty sure I'll be winning soon. You know, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a big way. And, and McLaren yeah. is is a kind of company who idolise and have idolised since I was very very small. And if you look on paper, McLaren are just kicking butt in regards to performance cars. They really are, and yeah. you know, and but they're still new. You know, their their CV, especially in sports car racing and everything, they've got great heritage, but the CV, you know, hasn't been exactly what they've wanted over the last few years. Um, 
but they're they're kind of the underdog, you know. So I feel mm-hmm. like um, you know, I'm evolving along uh, along with uh, along with McLaren and uh, hopefully making some history. So yeah, there you I'd, go. Sounds cheesy, but I'd like to think uh, being McLaren sounds pretty good to me, Paul. <laughs> I love it. Well, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast's dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Okay, Paul, we are back and we're entering the last lap. This is a place you've been many times. The white flag's out. Time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that McLaren throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Um, the best automotive advice uh, would probably be it would probably be a bit of a life life advice. You know, treat others how you would want to be treated. Um, and I think if I look back at myself when when I was racing in Formula Two and uh, in my earlier career. I'd get very caught up in being a Formula One driver and uh, I used to be a little bit edgy and, and upset a few people. And, and I think I've matured a lot recently and then realized that actually, you know, what, what goes around comes around. And um, yeah. motorsport's a very small world. You know, you don't, you don't want to upset anyone. So I, I genuinely, my kind of, uh, my advice to people is, is treat everyone how you want to be treated. You know, it doesn't matter who they are. You know, they could be the, the the cleaner in a factory to the to the CEO. I think everyone is everyone's pretty equally as important, and and the marshals as well. You know, all these guys that give up their time to uh, to look after safety at the the racetrack as well. They get a hard time because they only yeah. see us at our worst. At our worst. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but I always make an effort for those guys as well. 
Great, so, yeah, great I'm, advice. Good much. Yeah, absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your successes over the years on the racetrack? Um, probably determination is one. You know, there have been times where I've been very, very much uh, knocked down or, you know, my results haven't been what they should have been, especially uh, I had a very character-building year last year in, in Porsche Super Cup. You know, we had uh, a couple of issues throughout the year which were just grinding on and really sort of knocking me down and, and I was sort of flying to races almost not wanting not wanting to be there but then I'd sort of dig deep and the determination especially you know towards the latter half of the season and, and over the winter so I'd say determination uh, and also a lot of people in motorsport have this I have something called OCD I mean it's not it's not a, it's not a problem but I just have yeah this obsession with detail and yep. um and, yeah. and actually a lot of drivers I know have it as well. And I think that's something you need because you need to be perfect in every braking zone, every apex, every exit, every lap. And I think only with that detail, you get, you get that, that, that extra bit, you know? Yep. I've been accused of that myself. So uh, I figured there's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, focused it's the, on car, the car industry as a whole is, is unbelievable. The amount of people who, who are the same with regards to that, you know, it's just that, that OC, or I, I actually like to call it CDO because I like the letters to be in alphabetical order. So uh... <laughs> I'm going to steal that one. If you'll let me, Paul, I like that. That's pretty funny. Yeah, you can have that one for free. <laughs> okay. Man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, determination. And one thing I've heard from every race car driver in the show is that determination, the great quote by uh, Sir Winston Churchill, never, ever give up. Uh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. You just you just don't give up until you cross the finish line because you never know what's going to happen in front of you. Now, how about a resource? There are awesome resources for us these days. Is there one in particular you're really fond of? I waste a lot of time on on Instagram, and I love Instagram. You can pretty much find you can see everyone's stories. So if if I if if, if I've got a potential that I'm going to be a new teammate with a new driver or or I've been written to by someone who's really into cars and they put their Instagram page on there. It's great because I always go on Instagram and you can check people's pages out and look at their sort of life and pictures. So I've always, I've always kind of, yeah. And I enjoy Instagram a lot. So I'd say that's a, that's a resource, which is not sort of probably your obvious choice, but I actually, um, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it and it gives you, gives you a lot back as well. What's your Instagram page so our listeners can follow you? Uh, so it's my name, Paul Reese Racing. So it's all one word, Paul Reese Racing. Tend to do a bunch of uh, crazy stuff on there. Lots of cars sliding around and uh, <laughs> had a recent trip to uh, to Los Angeles, which I very much enjoyed. Um, and uh, a great friend of mine is uh, is probably one of the best car photographers on the, on the planet called Richard Parton. And uh, we spend a lot of time together. We work together. So um lucky enough to have some pretty cool photos on there. So uh, yeah, check it out. And uh, yeah. Give me absolutely. A absolutely. I'll put a, a link to that Instagram on Paul's show notes page. And you have to introduce me to your, your photographer friend. I've had hundreds of uh, automotive photographers on the show. I would love to have him be a guest on the show as well. That would be super. I'm sure he'd love it. He is super, super super into cars i know his name well so uh yeah let's uh let's connect us now if i could wave my magic wand and arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry living or deceased who would that be it's easy for me that question it's jim clark uh, purely yeah. because everyone uh, all the people i know in motorsport or who are my father's friends who lived with him and he was one of my dad's best friends 
which wow. is pretty cool. So my dad's yeah. got some amazing stories and, and some of the pictures um, that my dad ha- has with him and they went on holiday together. They lived together for a brief time and wow. and hearing everyone, just everyone's respect for him was unbelievable. And yeah. and it was the day he, he died at, uh, at Hockenheim is when my dad finally said, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit racing because he said, you never, no one ever thought it would happy happen, you know, right. to Jim Clark. Everyone, yeah. So I want to meet someone like that. I want to meet Jim Clark. You know, I, yeah. I wish, I wish I could have, because and there's not really much footage or interviews or anything out there of Jim, because that's obviously before it all really kicked off. So it's, right. it's not like if we want to YouTube and center interviews and it's a bit like we can't see Fangio, we can't see Jim Clark. So yeah, it would definitely be Jim Clark. Uh, uh, he's, yeah. he's pretty much Wouldn't the have... ultimate, according to everybody. And that's very cool. Your dad knew him. You know, when I, I raced vintage cars for a while, and I my first vintage car was a 1960 Lotus 18. And I know Jimmy Clark raced a Lotus 18. And the first time I got in that car to drive it, I just, I said to myself, what would Jimmy do? <laughs> and, and I'm in no way, no way comparing myself to him in any way as far as driving skills. Not even close. So those listeners it, are about to it slide it. By the way. Slide it. Yeah. Well, that's what you did with that yeah. car. It was a momentum car that you slid on those little tiny Dunlops. But I used to always, you yeah. know, pull my gloves on and just close my eyes for a moment and think, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, I get to experience this. But yeah, yeah, he was great. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would really enjoy reading as well? So it's it's not a motorsport book actually, but it's 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 within my family, which is why it, it's probably I don't read a huge amount of books. If I'm honest, um, there's some great motor racing books out there, but this is a book which has an amazing story. Basically, there's we've had a a, a violin, which was my grandfather was a um, was a, a violin player, a violinist, should I say, um, before he died for many many years. That was his thing. And, um, and we had this violin in the loft and um, we wanted to get it, you know, restored because it was a very nice violin. Anyway, it was going to cost tens of thousands. We then took it to um, for a TV show, which said they were, they were restoring musical instruments and all the antiques. But anyway, it, it turned out that my great aunt or my great great aunt, should I say, was she was uh, she was from Jewish descendants and she ended up in Auschwitz with this violin uh, during the Second World War. And the, the violin saved her life because she was an incredible violinist and she was told that, you know, just keep playing the violin and, and you'll live pretty much. So she was keeping everyone's spirits up with the violin and, mm-hmm. and this violin was in Auschwitz for many years and uh, still has marks and... Um, sort of ill repairs on it. And then it, it actually featured on a TV show recently uh, called The Repair Shop in the UK, where it was uh, where it was restored. And since then, my auntie has written this book called The Fiddle, which I read probably about six months ago, and it's selling like hotcakes. And, and they're now going to make a film out of it, and Hollywood have got hold of it. And, wow. But honestly, it's, honestly, it's an amazing book, very well written by my auntie. Um, when somebody said to me she's writing a book, gulped and thought well that'd be interesting you know a bit of a family passion you know who else wants yeah. to hear about it but when you read the book you really sort of unbelievable so i'd wow. say uh, yeah the fiddle yeah, the fiddle what's cool your auntie's like, name natalie cummings so, natalie cummings okay yeah, well we will look so, that up you know when you were describing well, all this 
Another movie, excuse me, another movie came to mind that I remember called The Red Violin. I don't know if you ever saw that movie or not. Oh, but, I haven't uh, seen that. No, I definitely yeah, go check it out. I think you'll really like it. It has. It's about a violin that goes through all these different owners over time and turmoil. And uh, when you talked about Auschwitz and the war, this violin mm. was confiscated and, and held and then ended up in a, an auction in the UK, I believe, actually. So, uh, yeah, check it out, the red wow. violin. But uh, we will check out the yeah, fiddle. And, sure. and uh, listeners, I'll make sure you can find all these great links, including a link to this great book, The Fiddle, by Paul's auntie, Natalie Cummings, on Paul's show notes page. Just go to carsyad.com, type in Paul Reese, R-E-E-S, and that page will pop right up. All right, Paul, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question could be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet today. But there's only a couple rules that you have to abide by. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an exception because I know you love your your Mercedes so much. So let's park that in the back and take that out of the equation. You can keep that. Just hide it in the back of the garage. But this is the only other collector car you can have. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with, like buy back that uh, 86 Porsche. Um, But I want you to drive it. This can't be a car that just parks and looks at it. I don't like garage queens. I like cars that get driven. So what can I buy you today? Again, this is this is a pretty easy one for me because I think this quite often. It would be the original McLaren F1, uh-huh. the three seater. That it's just I still think the most beautiful car on the planet. You know what is there not to love about it? And uh, yeah. it's it yeah. was, was kind of the ultimate supercar, and it's got three seats, so my son can go in one and my wife can go in the other, and uh, <laughs> nice have happy holidays. <laughs> yeah wouldn't that be cool what color would you like yours to be i i do you know what i'd take one in any color <laughs> <laughs> any, yeah no kidding any color, you know? yeah no yeah. kidding absolutely well those are special cars i've had a lot of guests just the other day i had a guest uh want a mclaren f1 yeah i would love one of those as well and i, I told this quick little story and i'm going to tell it again uh, I've taken my son to the pebble beach concord for many many years in a row and when he was young about nine we were in front of the lodge, and this gentleman drove up in a silver McLaren F1 covered in bugs with Colorado license plates. <laughs> he had driven this car all the way from Colorado to Pebble Beach to be at the Concord. Cool. And I thought, how cool is this? The guy's out on the road enjoying this car. Using it. Yeah. Using it. Yeah, most of them just sit in collections and never get taken anywhere except for maybe a show or two. And um, he let my son crawl into the middle seat and sit there and just, you know, ah, yeah, I would love to buy you a McLaren, especially with your involvement with McLaren racing now as well. So I'll get to work on that, Paul. Uh, I may have to dig deep <laughs> into my pocketbook to uh, pay for one of those things because yeah, they be- they're, they're, they're going, yeah, they're, they're pretty pricey. Though. They become very pricey for sure. Well, Paul, you've taken me on a great ride around the track today. I knew you would. I want to thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for uh, sharing your pleasure. journey. Yeah, it's been fun. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the the English countryside in your very own McLaren F1? Just get it done and don't give up. If you have a dream, follow it. Push, push and push again. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there are many people who have, who have dreamt things and it, and it hasn't happened and you don't hear about those stories. But but make your own dream and make your own story and, um, and hopefully it happens for you. Just, yeah, but never give up. There you go. Never, ever give up. And I know that you mentioned your Instagram is one way for people to follow you. Do you also have a website? Uh, I do. Yes, it's paulreeseracing.com. Yeah, I'll make sure I put links to that on Paul's show notes page. So just go to carsyeah.com, type in Paul Reese, 
those pages will pop up. I encourage you to follow Paul and his racing adventures. I think this is going to be a great coming new year 2019 for you and the McLaren team. Wish you all the best success. Thank you for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're a legend. (laughs) Thank you. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimball.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp., Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!